0: I can see the glory of his presence on each face. That's because I haven't put my reading glasses on yet. (laughs) I want to start out by defining a couple of words this morning. If for no other reason than to set a frame of mind. First, let's look at the word of credibility. Credibility can refer to your extensive research on a topic, your lifelong interest on an issue, your personal experience with a a thing, or your desire to better the lives of your listeners by sifting through the topic and providing crucial information. Then there's this thing called a credibility gap, an apparent difference between what is said or promised and what actually happens or is true. Information comes in from many different directions and has different longevity. If you are interested in hunting or fishing or sailing or target shooting, you talk to your friends, read books, check the Internet, you'll find lots of information, some of it good, some of it not so good. Take, for example, the Bible, especially the New Testament and the story of Jesus Christ. This is history, particularly ancient history. And that's a whole nother matter. While well, there are many different witnesses recorded in the Bible, there are several non-biblical sources such as Josephus, Lucian, Pliny, and the Talmud, which harmonize quite well with the biblical record. Add to that the skills and equipment of modern scientific community, for example, biblical archaeology from the modern uh, from the modern science community archaeology discovers names happenings and other information which is actually being uncovered written in stone and clay tablets, buried for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years, much of which directly supports the biblical record again and again. My analytical mind tells me that what the Bible says pretty much holds water, especially where Christ is concerned. What really blows me away, though, is what Jesus did for us, for you and for me, the descriptions of which comes from several different people, each with their own perspective. These men, these then are further validated as true history by both Christ's supporters and his vilifiers in purely human terms consider a situation where a man serving with his friends in combat a combat situation lasting for several hours maybe even days of heated battle terrible stress so much so that normal thought patterns simply no longer exist. His fellows are being killed to the left and to the right. Anger and fear are the call of the day when suddenly a grenade falls among them. Without thought or hesitation, a person sacrifices himself for his friends by placing his body between the grenade and his friends. Did he think about it? Had death become so impersonal that he didn't care? Or did he feel such love for his friends that he cared for them so greatly as to sacrifice his own life? Would you? Would I? This may well be an unanswerable question. At least for me it is. Now, consider what Jesus did for you and for me. There was no earthly battle. Here I want to emphasize the word earthly. There was no earthly battle. He had plenty of time to contemplate his own demise. He full well knew the consequences of what he was doing. However, for him, the consequence of not doing what his father had told him to do was far worse than the impending manner of his execution or the lingering, drawn out, dying process that was awaiting him. For Jesus was sent by God to bear witness to the truth. You see that in John eighteen thirty-seven. Specifically No one comes to the Father but except through him. Again the question, would you? Would I? Reweed in Luke chapter 1 where the angel Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, startled Zechariah by appearing to him in a temple one day and telling him His prayer had been heard that his wife Elizabeth will bear him a son who will be great in the sight of the Lord, who is never to take wine or other fermented drink, who will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people for the Lord. So, who is Elijah? Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God, perhaps best known for his face-off with the prophets of the false god Baal on Mount Carmel, recorded in 1 Kings chapter 18. The prophets of Baal call upon their god all day long to rain fire from heaven to no avail. Then Elijah builds an altar of twelve stones digs a trench around it, puts a sacrifice on the top of wood, calls for water to be poured all over it three times. Then Elijah calls upon God, and God sends fire down from the heavens, which burns the sacrifice, burns the wood, and the stones, and the dust, then licks up the water that was in the trench. Well, in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi prophesies in chapter 4, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, John himself was a humble man. He took on no airs. So when the priests and the Levites asked him pointedly, Are you Elijah? John answered, I am not. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet had said. The intent here is not to clear a path by cutting down trees and brush and filling up potholes as was the custom of some of the rulers of the old days when they were traveling. As explained in Barnes' Notes on the Bible, this was in the form of the usual proclamation of a monarch commanding the people to make a way for him to pass. Applied to the return of the exiles, the exiled Jews, applied to that return, it means that the command of God had gone forth that all obstacles should be removed for the return of the Jews from the exiles. However, applied to John, here, it means that the people were to prepare the reception of the Messiah that they were to remove all in their opinion and all in their conduct, which would tend to hinder his cordial reception or which would prevent his success among them. So John was anointing with the same fearless spirit and power which was upon Elijah when Elijah thundered against the sins of the disobedient, greedy, pleasure-seeking, Baal-worshipping Jews. This wilderness prophet was sent to turn the hearts of the people. John preached repentance, purity of heart, justice, and a practical walk of holiness to correspond with an open confession of sin. There was enough response by the people, multitudes of people that established the authority of the church, the establishment of the authority of the church, sent priests to investigate this disturbance. Let me run that by you again. There was enough response by the people, multitudes of people, that the established authority of the church sent priests to investigate the disturbance and report back to them. Now envision this, if you will. Develop a mental picture of their faces, these priests, when they heard about the unknown 30-year-old Jesus guy being baptized by John the Baptist. Imagine when they heard about that, when they heard about the heavens opening up and the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on this Jesus guy and a voice from heaven saying, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now let us move ahead in time towards the end of Jesus' ministry after he had made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem and went into the temple of God and cast out all them who sold and bought, over through the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves. It's now the next day. Jesus has returned from his night's lodging in Bethany. We see in in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, that he was teaching. Now, based on pictures I have seen in the magazine Biblical Archaeology Review, that temple had a tremendous courtyard. This is, this is a depiction. This is a model that they made some years ago. A huge courtyard surrounded by high walls and pillars. And in among these pillars were porches and colonnades and porticoes and people could mill about. such as at Passover time. At such times as that, the place would naturally have been filled with people. Now especially, since it had been cleaned of all the commercial ilk, it was really filled and teaching, and Jesus was teaching. He had returned to the cleansed courtyard, and I suspect there were greater multitudes of people there than ever before. All of them very aware of the many miracles that he had performed. And he was teaching, not as a scribe, but with authority. Not simply quoting the rabbis who quoted the rabbis who quoted the rabbis, who, again, quoted the rabbis because that was the only authority that they ever had, but he was really giving the people knowledge and understanding about the kingdom of God. Likely, he talked about judgment, the inevitability of hell, for those who refuse God's truth and God's way of salvation. I suspect he taught about the law of God, the word of God, perhaps about honesty or marriage or forgiveness or true riches or faith or hope or grace or mercy or false teachers. However, The religious leaders were upset and afraid of a religious revolution taking place because, as it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 48, all the people were very attentive to hear him. All the people were very attentive to hear him. They were in a state of panic, and they wanted this guy dead. When I say they, I am referring to the chief priests and the elders mentioned in Matthew 21, 23, which I take to mean... A whole group of people, such as chief priests, perhaps Caiaphas and Annas, the captain of the temple who was second in command and in charge of all worship at the temple, and a whole raft of rabbis. So we have this large group of authoritarian people spoken of in Matthew 21 23, confronting. Jesus and wanting to know by what authority he was doing all these things. Who gave him such authority? It surely wasn't them. I would not be surprised to find this group consisted of folks who normally disagreed on just about everything with divergent rabbinical Viewpoints coming together against what I am sure they all considered to be a common foe. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, maybe even the Zealots and the Essenes. What a group of self-righteous yahoos they were. Jesus responds to their question, By saying to them, I also will ask you a thing which, if you tell me, I, and likewise, will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or men? This group reasoned within themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? And if we say of men, we will lose all credibility with these people, for all the people hold John as a prophet of God. So they answered Jesus by saying, We cannot tell. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things as best I can tell the confrontational discussion continued with three parables one of which starts in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 21 Jesus presented the parable of the two sons saying something like what do you think meaning consider this A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And his son answered and said, I will not. And afterward he repented and went. Now you may have noticed that I have taken license with some words here and there this morning, but the word repented is straight from the biblical text. In Greek, the word is metamolomai. The direct translation to English is to repent. In English, to repent is to turn away from sin. The meaning here that they use in the Greek text is that the son later felt regret for his disobedience of his father, thought better of his belligerence, and then he obeyed. So next the father went to the second son and said likewise, and his second son said he would, but he did not. Jesus asked them which did the will of the Father, and they answered, saying, The first. Jesus then said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before ye. For John came to you, in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him and you when seeing this did not even feel remorse you felt no remorse and afterwards so you did not believe him even after observing the results of his righteousness they did not afterward Think better of their vitriolic criticisms and repent. In other words, John had given them a whole judgment message. He was taking the sinners in, and they were confessing and repenting and being baptized in a baptism of repentance to get ready for the Messiah. And the religious leaders were coming and not accepting the message and not believing the results of what John did and then repenting. Oh, no. Thus Jesus says, because of that, you are like son number two, saying, Oh, yes, Father, we will obey, but you never do. The idea in verse 32 runs something like this. For John... Came to you in the way of righteousness? And here Jesus answers his own question when he asks, Was John's ministry from heaven or earth? when he says, He came in the way of righteousness. Not just with a message of righteousness, no, no. But in the way of righteousness he didn't just have a good word he was a good man he was a way of righteousness he was a way of virtue he was a way of morality he was a way of godliness he was a good man he was a holy man he was a righteous man And he had a righteous message as well as a righteous life. And here he came with a righteous example and a righteous message. And you believed him not. They heard a good man speak a good word and they refused to believe it. The indictment is enough. That's indictment enough. And then Jesus gave them another indictment. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. They believed him. They heard John. They accepted his message, and they repented. And then this, And you, when you had seen that they repented, you did not afterward believe him. Again, Jesus was saying you saw a man with a righteous life preaching a righteous message, and you didn't believe him. And then when you saw tax collectors and harlots repent and have their lives transformed, you didn't even believe after seeing that. In other words, you rejected the message and you rejected the power that you saw in the prophet of God. That's a double indictment. This all boils down to the fact that actions speak louder than words. Many organizations have mission statements declaring their top aims of customer service, product quality, civic integrity, putting people first, and the like. Yet many such organizations have poor service, poor quality of product, Poor integrity and employee relations. Individuals may do the same thing, extolling their plans yet failing to implement them. Organizations and individuals falling into the same trap may have good intentions, but they may not recognize their failing to live up to their rhetoric. And most importantly, They too often omit God as the denominator of it all. With the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they look to themselves as the real authority and God's will only as they defined it. Amazingly enough, they seem to forget or not care about the dramatic experience of one of their own who, while in a temple doing his priestly duty, became dumbfounded by an angel who foretold about John whom they would not give any credibility. The religious group was pressing Jesus on who gave him his authority what he was teaching went against everything they had been laying on the people. This group were like a heavy yoke of bondage on the people and it was unbearable. The authority of Jesus was so unique that these religious leaders refused to accept it. Jesus pressed them to either accept or reject John. But because of their own lack of real authority, they could do neither. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, wrestling with vexing questions, difficult to resolve, are things many of us face on a daily basis, not the least of which is determining the truth and validity of these demands, requirements, requests, and challenges. I was going to ask that you help us in these confrontations. However, you have already provided for us the best help of all. For that, I am eternally grateful. Thank you. Amen.